my wife and I live on the east side, so we just really uh, are excited about what you guys are doing here on this side of town with the hope of Jesus and just really praying for you um, and excited about what God is going to do in building his kingdom. So, um, to begin our time this morning, I want to draw attention to this. This is my iPhone 7, and it has a cute picture of my daughter at the Children's Museum on there, and so I like to remember her. But this device right here has totally revolutionized our way of life. When uh, Steve Jobs, in 2007, when he rolled out the first iPhone, he completely revolutionized the modern world. All of a sudden, we had access, immediate access to computer technology in our pockets and all at our fingertips. That was like the, the big thing when the iPhone came out. You didn't have to take the pen out and, and to draw on the phone like some of those old Blackberries. You had access to complete computer technology all in your pocket. And in some ways, uh, this device has become just another one of our appendages, right? It's, it's with us everywhere we go because it has everything we need on it. It's got GPS. It's got, uh, it's got a notebook in here. It's got email. It's got text messaging. It's got your phone on here, everything. Anderson Cooper uh, is a talk show host, a reporter. He did an interview with an ex with a former Google product manager named Tristan Harris. Um, and it was on 60 Minutes, and the title of the interview was Brain Hacking. As Harris worked at Google, he, he noticed something about the way Google was writing uh, code. They were writing programs, applications, software for these devices. He noticed that these companies were actually intentionally writing programs to distract us. They were intentionally writing programs to get us addicted to our smartphones. And as Tristan uh, was working at Google and, and just started being flooded by all of this stuff, he realized and questioned this technique. The technique was known in the software industry as brain hacking. And he wondered, what, what are the implications of this kind of technique long-term? What are the consequences if we give ourselves over to manipulating software to distract people? And he wrote this long report uh, that was intended to be read around Google, and it circulated around there. Um, and he was calling Google to reconsider some of their techniques. Google and tons of other companies are using this technique. And this is what he argued kind of obvious because we all feel it, but he put words. He argued that constant distractions of apps and emails are weakening our relationships with each other and destroying our kids' ability to focus. We live in a world of constant distraction, and it's not just the smartphone. Television, media, add to that the pace of life. We live in a frantic, distracted world. And this, what this has done, this environment has caused great confusion about what is true. 
We are flooded with information every day, every hour. We are flooded with information. And now in an age of fake news, we, we, we question all the information we're receiving and wonder, is it really true? Can I trust this? And we're asking the question, this is the question that we ought to ask in this, as the people of God gather, we ask the question, how do we stay on the path of truth? How do we walk a life on the path of truth? Our passage this morning is going to answer that question. And so turn with me to the book of 1 John. It's towards the end of your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, there are a few Bibles out on the sides. Um, I'd encourage you to get your hands on a Bible. If you left your Bible at home, bring it next week because we're going to use it again next week. Um, 1 John uh, chapter 2. And as we turn there, let me give a little background. So 1 John, uh, it's towards the end. It's, it's near really the last book of your Bible. 1 John was written by John. Um, surprise, right? Um, and John was, he was an apostle. He was one of the men and women that Jesus pulled close in his earthly ministry. And even within that crew, John was a guy that Jesus pulled really, really close. And so this makes him a great authority on the truths of Jesus because he had a front row seat. He heard Jesus preach. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus raised from the dead. And this makes him an authority. He's writing this letter to some of the churches that he had pastored among. He in a lot of ways, was a spiritual father to these churches. And he's writing this letter because something had happened. John had left, and as he left, a few years later, these false teachers rose up from within the community, and they were teaching false things about Jesus. They were trying to lead these Christians away from Jesus. And John is writing this letter to confront this reality. He's confronting the lies that these men were teaching about Jesus. And so let's read uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 15, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 27. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so, many, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. Or, I'm sorry, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be become plain that they were not of us. Oh, kind of a tongue twister. <laughs> but you, in verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. 
Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let me pray and invite God to help us. Uh, Father, we, uh, we acknowledge uh, your presence here in this room. Uh, this is your word. This is not my word. These are your truths, and this is your people. And so I pray that you would um, pour out more and more of your spirit, that we would see Jesus, that we would believe Jesus, that we would cling to him. Pray that you would expose the lies that we are clinging to. Pray that you would expose the idols that we have held so dear and help us believe afresh in the finished work of Christ, that that would transform all of life and help us as we live as your people in a fallen world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to see in this passage as we study it together is that God is calling us to abide in the gospel in order so that we can discern what is true. To abide in the gospel so that we can discern what is true. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see why we should abide, why we struggle to abide, and how to find strength to abide. Let's start with the reason why we should abide. The main focus of John's letter, like I said before, was to confront these false teachers that had rose up in this local church. And John uses very strong language to talk to these people. He calls them antichrists. And this literally means against Christ. These men are opposed to the teachings of Jesus. And he begins the passage we're in with a section on uh, love of the world versus love of the Father. So he, he commands in verses 15... Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when John uses this word, the world, he's not referring to the people of the world. He's not even referring to the culture of the world. Culture is good and man distorts it. He's not referring to the creation itself. What John is referring to when he uses this term, he's referring uh, to the ethic of the world, this force 
of the world that seeks to live life without God. And this epic is opposed to the teachings of Jesus. It's an epic that says, I don't need God. I got, I got it all covered. Thanks, but no thanks. If you're an American, I feel like this ethic has been beat into your heads with our way of life. Independence, autonomy, self-sufficiency, these are the highest virtues in our country. And they're antithetical to the way of Jesus. So if, if you'll humor me just for a little bit. So John is not saying, hey, I know you love that cheeseburger. Right, that juicy Angus beef with melted cheese, onions, lettuce, mayo. I know you guys are hungry. <laughs> Don't touch it. That's of the world. Here's some vegetables. This is heaven's food. <laughs> this is not what John is saying. John is saying that there is a driving force, a driving spiritual force, an ethic existing in the world that is opposed to the way of Jesus. That is living a life without the Father, void of the Father. And so when John says, don't love the world because the, the love of the Father is not in it, you see they're, they're antithetical. They're mutually exclusive. They can't coexist together. So that's the first section. The second section, verses 18 to 27 John really, he focuses and turns his attention to the main purpose. He's writing this letter to these churches. He is confronting these teachers who are seeking to deceive, to confuse, to distract. And in verse 18, he uses this language, the last hour. He says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And so last hour language, he's referring to this period after Jesus came, he died, he rose, and he ascended. This period called the last hour begins until Jesus returns. He's not talking about some kind of temporal thing. In some sense he is. But it's a period of long, uh, long time. And John, he's not surprised by this because this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. And remember, John had a front row seat to some of these things, all of these things that Jesus was teaching. And he says in Matthew 24, one of the biographies that was written about Jesus, uh, Jesus talks about false Christs, false prophets that are going to be, that are, they're going to come up and they're going to try and lead you astray. He says the people of God are going to gather and they're going to seek to build his kingdom. And as that happens, there are false teachers that are going to rise up. They're going to be people leading you away from what I've taught you. And in verse 22, we find what these men were trying, the specific lie these men were trying to con convince these Christians of. Verse 22 says... Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So these men were, were trying to convince these Christians that Jesus was not the Christ. Christ 
uh, or also known as Messiah. Uh, it's not Jesus' last name. Uh, this is a title that was given to Jesus. Uh, there's a, a Jewish prophecy uh, in the Old Testament. The Jewish people, Israel, the nation of Israel, they had this prophecy that a savior king would, would rise up and would save them as a nation, to save the people of Israel. And Jesus claimed to be this Christ. He took that prophecy and said, I've fulfilled that prophecy. I am the Christ. He is the Savior King who has come to rescue all sinners, not just Israel, but all nations. And so this assault is not some little minor uh, theological debate. This assault is against the gospel itself. And in many ways, this entire book is about the truth that Jesus is the Christ. That's what the whole Bible is about. And these men are seeking to lead Christians away from that truth. And these are John's spiritual children. So you can understand if you have kids, these, these guys are going after my kids. You better watch out. You ever seen even in the animal kingdom when a mother bear, when someone goes after a mother's cub, she charges that thing. But it's interesting the way John encourages these Christians. He says in verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. John is he's reminding them, you, you have the Spirit of God in you. You know what is true. You heard, when I preached, you heard the message, the gospel message. Therefore, abide in that truth. Abide in the gospel, and you will be able to discern what is true. So he doesn't, he doesn't go in some theological conversation about why Jesus is the Christ. He says, you know he's the Christ. I, I told you he was the Christ. You have the Holy Spirit in you affirming this testimony. Now, abiding. What does abiding mean? Uh, and sometimes it gets a little confused. To abide literally means uh, to obey, to, to follow, to accept, to walk according to a specific truth or law. And so John is saying, walk in step with gospel truth. Follow the gospel. Follow its, tr its truth. This will guard you against false teachers. And so the reason why we're called to abide in the gospel is because abiding in the gospel gives us the ability to discern truth from lies, to discern in a world of confusion and distraction. Abiding in the gospel helps us discern what is true from what is lies. And John, what, what the Bible envisions in this abiding is a complete submission to the truth of the gospel in all of life. 
It's living all of your life, taking every thought, taking every action, every feeling, and, and putting it on line with the gospel. It's, can you imagine what would happen if you were to live that life? Can you imagine the kind of peace that you would experience, the kind of joy? But you'll never do it. Some of you have heard this vision. Some of you have heard this word before. And you go out and you try as hard as you can. And maybe, maybe you do pretty good for a few days. Maybe you do pretty good for a few weeks. But there's, there's no lasting change. The pressures of life, they just seem to win. Life sucks us in. All the distractions, all the noise, all of the apps and emails and schedules, it all sucks us in. And so we have to ask the question, why do we struggle to abide? What prevents us from abiding? And I want to address this morning one reason why. Um, this is not the only reason, but it's just one. And I think, I think everyone in here will we'll be able to identify with it. One reason why we struggle to abide is because we have given ourselves over to the idol of consumerism. Alan Hirsch uh, is a missiologist from Australia, and he's, he's kind of a quirky dude. He's got a cool accent, um, and he's really, really bright, and has just had a huge impact on my life. Um, he was in an interview talking about the need to make disciples in the local church. And he was talking about one of the greatest challenges to discipleship in our world. And this is what he says. We are being discipled every day by a very sophisticated system called media and advertising. Trillions of dollars are put into, trillions of dollars are put into it to manipulate our sense of self who we are, our sense of worth, our identity. This is the task of advertising, to create desire. And if Christianity is anything, it's about desire. Anyone who comes to Jesus in a Western context is already a well-discipled consumer. We mentioned uh, earlier when I held up my phone and talked about the distractions of technology and it's true. The corporate America does not have your best interests at heart. Corporate America is trying to, um, to, to use us in order to make a profit. That's just the way corporate America functions. But corporate America is not forcing you to buy their product. They're not forcing you to click on the notification. They're not forcing you to keep going back to buy more and more and more stuff. So you have to ask the question, what keeps us from clicking? What keeps us clicking? What keeps us buying? What drives us to consumerism? A few months ago, my wife and I, uh, we watched a documentary called Minimalism. I don't know if, if anyone has heard of these guys, but there's two guys. Uh, I think it's 
Yeah, it's Josh Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. And the documentary specifically chronicles their journey uh, in what they call minimalism. Um, and these guys, they, they had really successful jobs in the software industry, ironically. Uh, they had six-figure salaries. They had it made. They had everything that our country holds dear. But for whatever reason, they became disenfranchised with that life. Uh, and the documentary is about their journey out of consumerism. And they've written a ton of books. They have a podcast. They have this documentary. And they travel the country. Uh, and their message is this, uh, that we need to declutter our lives and get rid of all the stuff that's weighing us down so that we can focus on the important things. As you can imagine, they're not big fans of consumerism. In fact, it's, it's the enemy in a lot, a lot of ways. And these guys are not Christ followers. These guys are just, uh, they just were, uh, were frustrated and they felt the, the slavery of consumerism. They have a little short blog uh, and the title of it is Inside the Prison Walls of Consumerism. And I'll read just a few sentences there's a shopping mall in San Diego that used to be a prison. Restored, repurposed, and redecorated, it's hard to imagine this place once imprisoned hundreds of inmates. One might argue, however, it's a different kind of prison now, a voluntary incarceration, caged by the invisible walls of consumption. This might sound hyperbolic, but it's an apt analogy. After all, consumption is not the problem. Compulsory consumption is the problem. We've trapped ourselves by thinking that consumerism will make us happy, that buying stuff we don't need will somehow make us whole. What these guys have identified is that there's something inside of us that compels us to consumerism. There's something inside of us that pushes us, that drives us. And let me suggest this morning that the reason why we give ourselves to the religion of consumerism, the reason why we are so distracted and so caught up in the world of consumerism is because we are people starving for purpose and meaning in the wrong place. We are searching for something or someone to establish our worth, to establish our identity. And the message of Christianity speaks to these things. In fact, this is the heart of the Christian gospel. The gospel is about restoring our purpose, restoring meaning in life, and giving us an identity. And so let's talk about how to find strength to abide. How can we, how can we grow abiding in the gospel? So 1 John 2, it calls us to abide fully in the truth of the gospel in all of life to walk on the path of the gospel with everything. 
to filter every thought through the truth of the gospel, to center all of your feelings on God's truth, to live every action according to, to God's will. It's a beautiful vision, but you will never achieve it. And praise God that you do not have to in order to experience the grace of God. There's only one person who has ever abided fully in the gospel. There's only one person who has abided fully in God's will and lived the perfect life. And that's Jesus. Jesus was fully submitted to God's truth in thought, feeling, and action. He walks God's will perfectly. And in one place in John's gospel, he, he talks about himself as the truth of God in human flesh. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He lived every moment according to God's will. And he gave it all up. And he surrendered himself completely to God's will, and that led him to death. And he died so that we can walk on the path of truth. He died so that we can abide fully in the gospel. By faith in this Jesus that I'm talking about, what God does is he attributes Jesus' perfection, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' perfect abiding. He attributes that to us. And he restores our identity. He gives us worth and meaning. And so Jesus, he heals the deeper problem of consumerism. If you get rid of all your stuff because you want to focus on the important things, if you go the way of the minimalist, you still haven't addressed the problem of the heart. We, my brother's in town, and we were watching a, a, a show, a documentary on a hoarding. And I don't know if you've ever seen these folks who suffer from hoarding, um, and they fill their house with all of this stuff, and they they can't, they can't stop. And it's, it's an extreme example, but that's, that's the idea here, is that there's something in our hearts that is broken. There's something that needs to be re-engineered, to be rewired. And this is what the gospel does. In the gospel, Jesus gives you purpose. He, he fixes the relationship you have with the creator. And our purpose is to glorify God with all of life. He establishes your worth. You think about what Jesus, what, what God has done in Jesus. I mean, you hear it all the time, but, but have you really heard it? God the Father gave up the, the thing of most value. The most valuable person that he had in his life. He gave him up so that you can walk on the path of the gospel. 
The idol of consumerism leaves us wanting but never filled. It continues to leave us empty. It doesn't fill anything. Jesus satisfies. Jesus meets that hunger. He fills that hunger. The idol of consumerism enslaves you to keep buying, to keep clicking. It never gives you the kind of worth that you need. It never gives you the identity that you desperately want. It leaves you enslaved. Jesus sets you free by giving you a new identity as sons and daughters of God, as recreations in the gospel. It's, and let me pause. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be excited about new technology, right? I got, I have the iPhone 7. Like, I'm not dogging on the cool stuff, the cool gadgets. You should be excited about getting a new outfit, going to the mall and go shopping. There's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have, you don't have to. It's not stop consuming, don't consume. It's it's you don't have to consume to establish your identity. You don't have to do that. And notice that the gospel gives us the power to deny consumerism. It fixes the fundamental issue and gives us the strength to walk on the path of abiding in the gospel. And this is what John points to in in his letter, he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, you know it. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. He points them back to the gospel. He points them to Jesus. And the whole point of this sermon is that in order to abide fully in the gospel, we have to believe it first. We have to trust in it. We have to cling to it. And then as we are clinging and holding on to the cross of Jesus, then we can walk on the path. Then we can do the hard work of denying distraction, of reorganizing our schedule, of fixing our eyes on Jesus, on having the right habits. And lastly, it's important to remember that we have help. We have help in the Holy Spirit. God is here. He's here right now. He's here with you when you drive in your car, when you have a conversation with your spouse, when you're parenting your kids, when you go out to dinner, when you go to the mall, God is with you. And he is jealous that you would remember the gospel. He is jealous that you would abide fully in gospel truth. Because there, you're free. You're completely and utterly at peace. Because you've been restored. Your sins have been forgiven. Jesus talks about the Spirit in John's Gospel. He says, 
to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you're not alone in this battle. The Holy Spirit is with you. And by faith in Jesus, that, that, that's part of the gospel, is that by faith in Jesus, God gives us his spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. God gives us his presence, and that presence is helping us to stay on the path of truth. And we often, there's a lot that the Spirit is doing in your life. If you are a Christian, that you don't have any idea is happening. But I know he's working. I've seen it in my own life. You ever, you'll notice that you'll catch glimpses of it where it's like all these things will overlap and you'll be like, I mean, how did that happen? As if God isn't controlling our lives. I like to think about uh, Christianity in, in this way, that God, everything God demands, he provides. So God demands perfection from us. We can't do it. We fail. And so he provides Jesus as a substitute, as someone who can make us whole. He calls us to live in a broken, fallen world and to fight sin. And what does he do? He gives us the spirit to help. All that God demands, he requires. So, East Campus. Abiding in the gospel by God's spirit will help, will help you with discernment about how to deny the idol of consumerism, deny lies about Jesus, and to stay on the path of truth. Remember the gospel. Remember Jesus has perfectly obeyed so that we can be saved and restored and given a new identity. We've been given worth and purpose. And this helps us abide and walk on the path of truth. And so... application. I would love to encourage you all to take time this week. Spend some time thinking about areas in your life where you are searching for meaning and purpose in the wrong ways. Pray and ask God to open your eyes to those things. He loves to, to reveal this. Pray that God would restore your identity to Jesus and would keep you there. And maybe some of your habits need to change. Maybe, maybe you need to shut your email off of your phone in order to be more present. Maybe you need to stop purchasing a certain item because it's leading you away from the gospel. I don't know what, what it might be like but I know that the Spirit wants to help us 
The Spirit is alive. And God is jealous that we would know the path of walking and abiding in the gospel. Also, this is a great place. Join a community group. That's what community groups are all about, is is being a part of a family that are reminding one another of the gospel, that are helping one another live out God's will and live out the gospel in the world. So let me pray, and I trust that God's word um, is planted in your hearts, and I pray that he would bear fruit um, from it. Father, um, oh man, you're so good to us. Uh, You are incredibly giving and gracious uh, and so good, better than we have ever deserved. I pray in this place that you would open eyes, that you would open ears. I pray that we would be people given ourselves to rediscovering Jesus, to, to rediscovering the gospel so that we could learn how to abide in the gospel in all of life. I pray that you would um, help us to think through all of life in, in the gospel. So we love you, and we trust you, and we cling to you, and pray that you would use us in this place for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.